Well, good morning or afternoon or good night, depending on when you're listening to this. This is Karen Conley and welcome to our Lead Like Jesus podcast. We're so grateful to have you with us today. And as we have transitioned to now having both an audio and video format, if you are joining us today by video, you will see that we have a fantastic guest with us. Let me introduce you to him. Peter, um, thank you so much for coming. This is Peter Demis, and Peter is the president and CEO of Demis Brands. And um, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to learn from you today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Well, um, as I was prepping for this podcast and had a little bit of an opportunity to read your bio and, and a lot of your accomplishments that you have had throughout your career um, and even beyond the workplace, um, as I was reading some people um, talking about you and your character and who you are as a man, as a leader. Um, I'm excited for all of our listeners and watchers to be able to learn from you today. And um, a lot of times we, we, we look at someone and all of their accomplishments and we think they have their act all together and they always have. <laughs> and uh, we can never, you know, we can never get where you are. We can never be the president CEO. We can never be the, you know, the top 20 leader in multiple um, cities that you've been recognized in. Um, but maybe to just kind of um, move away from all the accolades, um, take us back a little bit before we talk about all the ways you've accomplished things and tell us a little bit about, um, the backstory before you got to be who we see you are as now. Um, what what is the journey that that um, maybe in your early years and your formative years um, that will then bring us up to the present? So I started out. Um, I've been in the restaurant business pretty much all my life. So my my father, I'm fourth generation restaurant owner. Wow. And uh, so my father had uh, he started a Western Sizzling franchise when and moved to Nashville when I was one okay. and they uh, from that I, I had uh, just you know so you know I would be around the restaurant business you know just just he, he would he would have to take me along I'd sit in on meetings that I didn't want to sit in on and you know and I would just grab a book and read and while he was doing it but throughout the process I learned from it and then when I was 12 years old I started working in restaurants or washing dishes and then just did all everything else from it and said, I wanted to have nothing to do with the restaurant business. I mean, that was my, I was adamant. There was no way I was going to do anything with it. And I ended up uh, going to law school, became a lawyer. And uh, in practicing law, I recognized that uh, the reason why I wanted to do that was I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in the practice of law, I felt like I really wasn't. I was more focused on billable hours or just winning um, and it just, just never really seemed, even when you won, it didn't really seem like that's what the person needed or wanted. And, yeah. and while I was doing that, I was still working part time at the restaurant. And so, uh, and then finally I realized I need to, I, I got to reverse this in my life. And so I'm going to start working in restaurants and then part time be a lawyer. And so like, I still have my license up to date. You never want me in court cause I'm, been in court in 20 years. Um, but, but, but nevertheless, I, I, so that's where I got in the restaurant, I got stayed in the restaurant business. And, and when I, when I came back into the business, um, and took over the operations, uh, and then, uh, and then purchased, uh, uh, the restaurant from, from my father about 10 years ago. And, uh, and so started kind of working at it from there. 
so so that's that's kind of the 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 cliff notes version of how i got to where i'm at right now so well i know part of your journey is that you have made a transition uh in in from being a a great businessman to being someone who has put faith in in front and center in your business and obviously as a group of people with lead like jesus um, we're always hungry and wanting to learn from people that have, who, who have made that transition. And then for those that are listening and maybe, maybe they're like you and they're in their career and they're winning and they're getting billable hours, but they want to know, okay, how, how, what does it look like really to put my faith first? Um, share with us a little bit. How did you make that leap? Why did you make that leap? Maybe let's start with that one. Why did you make that leap? Well, I, I, I think the why and how actually kind of, kind of, kind of tie in together. Truthfully, so, so I ended up, um, you know, I, I was. I was always in, in control or so I thought, you know, I always had to, everything that I had to do was, was, was based off of that. So my, you know, I had to control my work. I had to control, it, it, it control my home. You know, everything was, was complete control. And I was, uh, um, you know, worked way too many hours, you know, uh, was, um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't do anything like that was on the surface appeared wrong. You know, like I didn't cheat my employees. I didn't pay, you know, I paid my taxes. I, you know, you know, I was kind to people for the most part, you know, spoke to them if they were, if I saw them, you know, so, so I did those type of stuff, but, but, but in reality was, was I was hurting. My marriage was hurting. My, 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 um, you know, my, uh, my, my job, my, you know, jobs was, was just constantly felt like it was just slipping to the ground. Like I never was going to succeed and I always needed more and always wanted more. And, um, you know, how can I be better at what I'm doing? And then if anything didn't happen, I, I took it, I would get angry over it and, um, and, and ended up, um, uh, the man named Angus Buchan came to town and, and Angus was uh, a South African evangelist, and my my wife and I would attend a local church, but I didn't really like church. Um, and uh, yes, but so we would attend on occasion. And she said, "Hey, I need you to go hear him." And uh, he was doing a men's conference. I refused to go. I'm like, you know what? I don't like going to normal church. I'm definitely not going to some, you know, fanatical guy from South Africa who who who's preaching Jesus. That no way I'm doing that. And you know, he he said, so we. Uh, so, so I ended up not going to that and, uh, but, but, but we heard that he was preaching at the, at the, the, the 1030 or the, at our Sunday service. And so I told my wife, I said, well, we're going to 830 because you know what I'm going to do, we're going to go kind of fun afterward. But the trick of the truth of the matter was, was my wife can never be ready on time. I mean, she, she's late to everything. And then for, I'm like, I'm going to go to work early. You'll pick me up along the way. And then maybe we'll go have a picnic or something. It was a beautiful day. And so, so from that, I said, you know, you need to, you know, so you, I know getting two kids ready by eight 30 in the morning, just not going to happen. You know, so I figured that was just going to be my way. I was going to manipulate, you know, what I was going to do. And sure enough, she got ready in plenty of time. I mean, like way in advance, we, you get to church and like, there's hardly anybody there. I thought, this is really odd. Our church is a very large church. And uh, I thought, well, you know, no big deal. And then I, then the pastor comes out and says, if you're wanting to hear Angus, he's only doing the 1030 service. He's not doing the, the early service. 
And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I don't get to hear them. You know, I get to still have a great day. You know, it was just, it was, it was a good, it was just, oh, it was just going to be perfect. My wife, on the other hand, is angry and it's that anger that you could feel. And, um, and so, so finally after two more fights after that service, we end up having to come back for the 1030 service and I'm angry. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so Angus did an altar call and after, after he preached a, a sermon and it was the first time that I felt compelled to do something. I wasn't forced to, it wasn't like I was a zombie, but I felt compelled to do something so much that I went up, up. Mm-hmm. and, and unlike most people where that's like great and wonderful for me, that was horrible. I was like, I felt like I was conned. Um, I didn't know what was going on. And then through another series of events, and I talk about it in my book, um, Afraid to Trust, and about these series of events that led me actually in front of him the following day. And he asked me the question, if, you are, if you're willing to die for your country, why are you afraid to speak out to God? And I did not realize no one ever called me afraid before. And I thought, that's really odd. And over the next three days, I slept four hours before finally I said, God, you win. I'm going to turn everything over to you. And that's where, so, 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 so to answer that, the, how I got there was, was, was through, through those events. And the, the, the why I got there was strictly because, because the, the Holy Spirit was introduced to my life for the first time. And, and, and then, then became the practical part of, how do I turn everything over, <laughs> you know, but, but, but at that point is when I relinquished all control and when all that control was relinquished, the freedom that came from that, the, um, uh, the, the release of the fear that came from it, I did not realize that the control that I had was really just a manifestation of the fear that I was carrying with me. Mm. And, and you don't realize it because fear kind of tricks yourself into all different avenues, whether it's jealousy, anger, control, manipulation. That's where the fear comes from. Mm. Well, I love, I love that you went into the details of really what that looked like um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think everybody can relate um, to, to that wrestling um, and, and I just think about how many people might be listening now and think, oh yeah, I, I've manipulated like that too. Like, you know, I mean, I, I've tried to, you know, play the right, you know, religious card or I've tried to appease my husband or my wife. And yet I knew that I was kind of under, under the table trying to kind of manipulate things. Um, so we all relate to that. Uh, yeah, we you know, all- I- I can't tell you how many times, how many times that, that I was in church and the basket comes around for, for it. And I would put the bare minimum in. So somebody would see me put the envelope in, but I really wasn't committing anything of, of any value whatsoever. But as long as it was important, you know, you talk about the, you know, the, the image and people looking like you're under control, um, you know, back in the, you know, seventies and eighties, you know, we were comparing ourselves to the family on growing pains and Brady bunch. Now we're comparing it to real life people on Facebook. Mm. You know, so we're always looking to be like, oh man, look at them. I, if only I had their family, if only I acted like them. And, yeah. you know, and they're always constantly trying to, to make their image appear to be perfect instead of their heart to, 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 to be real. And I think that makes a huge difference in it. And therefore we're all, all struggling in that area. Absolutely. Well, and that authenticity, like you just described in your own journey, I think, you know, to any, any woman who's hoping her husband will come to church, you give him some hope that God will win in the end. <laughs> and, uh, but also to know um, it's not the, the glamorized version of Peter. It's the real 
deal. And that I think gives everybody hope that no, we all wrestle, we all have this journey, but God is faithful. And so walk us through, um, what did that look like as you began to, um, to say, okay, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm letting go. I've been, I've, I've been called out on my fear and I'm, I'm choosing after four days of no sleep. Um, what did that look like in those early days? So, so the, 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 the first part of it was, um, you know, I was on fire, you know, like it was just one of those things, you know, so, so the, my basic practices was, was reading the Bible. I mean, I, I read the Bible cover to cover and I've read it every day since then. I mean, that's not just something that I got to do in the days that I end up you know, not being able to read it first thing in the morning is just, just awful for me. Like I have to get it done and not as a check mark, but it's just, I just have to get it done. And, uh, but, but um, you know, so I'm reading that and I'm on fire for everything. And, and, uh, and, and people are, people are wondering what's going on with me. Um, and I tell you, when you're 40 years old and you're announced you're going to be baptized, uh, you get a lot of free lunches because yeah. people think you're dying. And so they want to take you to lunch and then say, Hey, you know what, you know, what's going on at the very end of the meal? You know, the first couple ones I thought, yeah, okay. You know, what's going on after a while you start knowing exactly why you're going to lunch with them. But I was like, okay, so, so where is God leading? What, how does that, how does that work? And what does that, what does that entail? And a couple of weeks after, another man came to our church and spoke. His name was Lance Lambert, and uh, Lance is in heaven now. He, but he, uh, one of the things that he said that, that that struck me was he said the children of England don't know the stories of the Bible, and it's happening in America too. And I mm -hmm. thought, no, that that can't be the case. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'm going to kind of test this theory out, and I'm going to test it, you know, through through a working part. So somebody would make a mistake. I'd go to them and they'd be upset about it. And especially because again, they're used to at least feigning being upset because they knew how upset I normally got. And so I would go to them and I'd be, you know, okay, so do you know the story of Abraham? I'm like, cause you know, his mistake we're still dealing with today. And I doubt your mistake is going to last a couple of millennials. So, so, you know, we're going to, we're going to just kind of go through that. Do you know the story of Abraham? Only two out of 12 people knew who the story of Abraham was. So I'm like, okay, well, what about Moses? Moses killed somebody, you know? So, so what about Moses? Three out of 12 people knew the story of Moses. Yeah. Now these are major, major people that Hollywood's done movies about. Disney even did a cartoon about Moses. Mm -hmm. And, and yet they did not know who they were. We're not talking about like Hezekiah, you know, Elisha, you know, we're, <laughs> we're talking about, you know, we're talking about, about major people of the Bible. And Peter, let me interrupt you. Yeah. You're in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, correct? Yes, Bible Belt. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, we're not talking. We're talking about the culture that prides itself on being biblically literate. So uh, yes, and and absolutely. But but here's the thing that's interesting is is when you when you read the Bible and in Judges, it, it's just struck me out one time really big and when when uh, in, in Judges is that the the priest that that helped lead the tribe of Dan into idolatry was the grandson of Moses. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that, that only a few people, the next generation, made it to the promised land. Right. So they died in the wilderness, which meant that that, that child that led the tr tribe into to, to idolatry had to have hung around with Moses and Caleb and Joshua. I mean, he, he had to have been around them, yet right. he lost it. So he may have had knowledge, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter. Now, and here in the South, you know, we go to church, but it doesn't mean we pay attention. 
Right. You, know, we, you know, we go to Sunday school, but it doesn't mean, I remember a Sunday school class where we spent the entire Sunday school class talking about the NFL standings and, and who, and, 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 and the odds of the Cowboys getting into the, getting into the playoffs. I remember that very clearly. It was one of the few lessons of Sunday school that I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, um, so no, you're absolutely correct, but yeah. this is also the first generation that I'm re referencing who's parents did not have prayer in public schools. Mm -hmm. So again, we're looking at two generations away, just like in the Moses situation. So, so yeah, it just slowly goes away where you kind of, you know, or you may have heard of them, but you don't really know the story about them at all. Right. So you're a new believer. You're um, in the word daily. Uh, you are leading a very successful company. You are, are having all of the success that the world would want. What does that look like for you to transition your company to a, to a marketplace business that had a kingdom mindset? What did that look like? At, at first, it was pretty lonely because I would say the majority of the people that work, worked for me and still work for me are non-believers. Mm -hmm. You know, they they um, or, or or casual believers at best. Um, and so 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 the first thing that I said we were going to do is we were gonna change our purpose statement. And I changed our purpose statement to say, we're here to glorify God by serving others. And we're gonna serve and care for our customers and serve and care for our employees. And so I, I presented that to all of our general managers and above and I said, okay, this is what we're gonna change it to. You're gonna be on the front lines having to defend it. So you need to be questioning me on how this works and nobody would speak. And I mean, when I was in that room, like I felt all alone. I mean, my wife was, my wife was on board, you know, but, but she was at home, you know, she works, yeah. she works with us, but she wasn't there in that room. So yeah. it was just kind of me. And, and I'm like, we can have conversations about everything else. We can't have one about this. And I mean, it was, it was a struggle getting anybody to even talk at that meeting. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the things I realized then was I, just because I have that fire, nobody else does. And so I have to, I have to slow track it in. And so then we started doing things like uh, we hired a, a chaplains. There's a couple of uh, national organizations that provide chaplains, Corporate Chaplains America, Marketplace, uh, Marketplace Chaplains or Marketplace Ministry. I can't remember the name of it. And there's local groups that provide chaplains as well. And so we, but we brought in chaplains into our organization. You know, we, we, we started praying before meetings. We started doing devotions for that, that would, that would tie in with business. So you want to talk about teamwork, you brought in Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. And so we started doing little things like that to start. And then what was, what was, what was, what was fascinating was that people started seeing the change in me mm -hmm. and then they wanted to know more about it. Mm -hmm. so, so that was, so that became, it was actually easier at that point in time. So when we started holding Bible studies and, and then, you know, and, and then see Christian events, Hey, you know, I'll pay for any, anyone that wants to go to the Christian event. So since, since we're going to do that, then, you know, then, then I would invite people to those, you know, anybody that wanted to come. And so we created these opportunities for them. Um, and then that was really the first stage of the change was again, slowly introducing them and letting them see the positive impact of it from there. Mm. Well, and I think what you spoke to is so important that, you know, you were, people have to see you walk it out. They have to see you live it. They have to see that there is something different in who you are. If you're, if you're claiming to be a person of faith, they, they kind of want to want to see it walked out. So it sounds like you were you were patient in that process and knew that there was going to be some testing and that was okay that that you would be able 
not by your strength, not by your control, but by the work that God was doing in you, that they would be able to see what was attractive about, about the Lord. Well, uh, yeah, and I'll be honest, I think the number one thing that impacted people was, was my, my language. Mm. You know, because I, I took cussing to a whole new level. Like, I was really good at cussing. I mean, it was, it was, that, was a, that was a unique gift of mine. That, that, I mean, I could put cuss words in the middle of words and, and just extend them out. I mean, I was really good at it, and I stopped. And it was, I didn't stop and, because, oh, well, it's wrong to cuss, and I got to do that. It was, I didn't stop for any legalistic reason. I just stopped. I didn't want to. Yeah. And, and so, and, and then people started seeing that, you know, mm -hmm. people started seeing, um, started seeing that part of it. Employees were before I would care about employees, but I cared about them the same way I care about a piece of equipment. I wanted it to work. Uh, and if, when it, when it stopped working, I replaced you, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't care about, you know, how they felt and who they were and mm -hmm. the struggles they faced and the crises they were going through. And I, mean, I didn't, I didn't care about it from that side. And so when they saw that transition, that's where a big part of it was, was just in, in my, my own behaviors. Because a lot of people said, I thought, I thought that you weren't real and you were just trying something new to motivate us. And mm -hmm. so, so there was some backlash from it on that side. But one of the things that was interesting is, is and, and he's still a non-believer today, he worked for us for probably about another four years after this, and then he started his own restaurant. Um, but, but he, one of the things I remember hearing him say was he, he was criticizing uh, uh, of employees who, who were cussing, and he said, no, we're not allowed to do that. We're a Christian company now. He's not a Christian, but yet he was, he was advocating the values because whether or not you, you believe in Christ, the Christian values are strong and everything. So now we put like Bibles out in the lobby for people to take um, whenever they want to. And, and we spend thousands of dollars on, on Bibles. Um, we play Christian music, not every song, but probably about 30, 40% of our songs are Christian music. And, you know, so we, we try these things and then I watch our employees become more bold with it by them seeing the example, they start doing things on their own. Mm -hmm. So we had a, uh, a lady not that long ago. She was, she was 80 something years old, started choking, turned blue. We had a paramedic that happened to be working for us and he went over there and he was having to do chest compressions like CPR. Like it was, it was bad. And another employee just ran over, just grabbed her hands and start praying for her. And then other people started praying with the customers that were around watching this happen. You know, six years ago, they would have been, they would have been punished for that. Yeah. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, a, uh, it would have been like, no, you're not allowed to bring that in. You know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't just even before of, we were just kind of ambivalent. It was not allowed. Wow. Wow. Well, Peter, I um, am so grateful for all you've shared and, and I hope that we'll be able to maybe have a, a part two, because I want to dive into some of the the truths in your book and so many other things we haven't gotten to, but maybe one last question before we wrap up our, our, this particular podcast, you've mentioned your wife you, and a couple of different times being involved in your work and also just um, in your faith journey. What role has she played in this? How, how much has that contributed to your journey? Well, so, uh, oh my goodness, so much. Um, so we had tremendous marital problems. Um, matter of fact, our marriage counselor told us to get a divorce. So that just kind of, I mean, he was like, I can't do anything for you. And so she grew up Christian, strong Christian. And so she said, I'm going to change my prayer. And so instead of God, asking God to change me, she said, God, I want you to teach me how to love him. 
And when that started happening, our marriage got saved to a point and then God took care of me, which mm-hmm. then made me realize what my role was as a, you know, as, as a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what's funny is in the book, there's a chapter and it's, 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 it's so wonderful. The chapter's titled Jealous of Jesus, because my wife was talking about how, she, because she moved from number one in my life to number two. And it was a struggle for her. And, and so we kind of had to work through that part of the process. But at the same time, she was always encouraging me. She was always, um, you know, she counsels a lot of the women that work for us. And, you know, she, she, she prays for people, you know, throughout the restaurant and, you know, and, and doing those type of stuff. I mean, but she's been absolutely 100% just, just, um, amazing in this process and again it hasn't been like it's simple it's not like she and I never fight anymore like oh well no we're married you know we're gonna fight <laughs> you know? that's just as far but the difference is is that we're secure because God is first mm-hmm. and that's the difference so since God is first in our marriage now all of a sudden now we have a uh, 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 since, since since we put him first there's a secure in our marriage that even when we're disagreeing, even when we're arguing, we, we, we know we're okay. And therefore, when I go to work, I know that she has my back and I have hers. And it's just, it, it, it's completely transformed the, just the way we see the world just by, by us being together like that. Well, Peter, I can't thank you enough for, like I've, I've said before, but it's just so refreshing to to hear someone's authentic story, unfiltered, the real things that happen, um, you know, because whether you are someone who is solid in your faith and, and uh, you know, mature in your faith, we all, it's, it's just a healthy reminder to go, no, we, even in the best of marriages, there's conflict. But my husband and I always say, it's not that I trust Chris, it's that I trust God with Chris. It's not <laughs> Karen, it's that he trusts God with Karen. And when you do both put the Lord first, it does bring a security. Um, but to, to hear you describe it in a way that everybody can relate and normalize what it's like to, to live in a fallen world, but at the same time, to know that you are making a difference in the city of Murfreesboro and in the lives of specific individuals that are uh, your employees and and all the way into your entire community. So I just wanna, on behalf of Lead Like Jesus, tell you thank you so much for the way that you're modeling that, what you're teaching us. And um, please tell our audience here, if they wanna get your book, Afraid to Trust, where can they go if they wanna have you come in to maybe their business or to come speak? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? So you can always order the book through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can download it on Kindle. Um, but we also have a website for it, too, if you want to order it direct, called uh, afraidtotrust.com. Um, on there, you can get links to our um, uh, to our e-commerce site, to our restaurant site. So if you want to know more about it that way, there's also a way to contact uh, contact me directly. So if you want me to speak to groups or uh, I just got back from the Detroit area um, uh, speaking up there. So, you know, speak to groups or churches or, or whatever the situation is. Uh, you can always send me a contact us form through that. And um, and th- those actually come directly to me as well. So, um, so it, it's... Um, uh, you know, even if you just want prayers, you know, I mean, that's, you know, you know, prayers matter. And so we, we, we want to, we want to be able to, to honor, honor, honor everybody who needs that type of, that type of support as well. So, but the website is afraid to trust.com. It's all one word, afraid to trust.com. 
Well, thank you so much, Peter DeMiss, and I look forward to hopefully part two. And uh, thank you so much. Anybody who would like some more information about Lead Like Jesus, you can also go to leadlikejesus.com. Take care. Thank you so much again.